Yeah. Um, hey, this morning, exciting um, to have our friend Dominic from uh, all the way from Portland, Oregon. If you've wondered why it's been raining so much here, um, <laughs> Dom and Elisa have brought that with them. Um, uh, five years ago, Dominic uh, came out here with uh, 40 or 50 hipsters from Portland, Oregon, and, uh, and they, they planted Emmaus a year into it. He got a fantastic opportunity to take a role at the church that actually planted Emmaus, West Side of Jesus Church, and they've begun a network of church planting churches, and so uh, we're excited to have him here in uh, North Carolina back with us after his two years last time he visited. So everybody give it up for Dominic Doan as he comes to share the scriptures with us this morning. Oh man, do you want me to use that one or is this one? Oh, that one's good. Is this one good? Can you guys hear me? Yeah. Oh my goodness, this is amazing. It is so good to be back. Thank you, Brian. Um, this vibe is awesome. I, I love that you're doing up here. This is, this is beautiful. And yeah, it's been a couple years since we've been back. We've been in Portland, Oregon. We desperately hoped that we would come here and encounter the sun. It hasn't happened yet. Maybe today that's going to change. Um, but it's, uh, it's beautiful to see what the Lord has done. Um, I just kind of found myself fighting back tears during the worship, which by the way, the worship was just insane. Like, you, you guys absolutely killed it. Beautiful. Um, and to see that this has become this worshiping community, um, engaging just their hearts and their hands and their lives and um, just hearing stories like that. And, and to see Brian, just the way he and the team are, are leading this. And if I could just brag on Brian for a bit. Um, you know, I, so about two years ago, um, I, you know, you guys heard of Bob Goff. Uh, so he's kind of a friend of Westside's up in Portland, Oregon. And a couple years ago, he invited me down to meet with him, and uh, Bob Goff, if you know anything about him, he likes to do crazy things. He's like, oh yeah, come meet me at Disneyland. <laughs> so, so I went down to Disneyland and hung out with him, and it was fascinating because I asked him, I'm like, is this where you do most of your meetings? He's like, pretty much all of them. Like, he said, this is my office right over here, and it's Tom Sawyer Island. And, and I asked him, I'm like, well, you, you spend all this time at, at Disneyland. Does he, does he ever lose some of the magic of the moment, right? I mean, if you live in the happiest place on earth, then how, how, nothing can ever compare, right? And sometimes when you're in an epic location, in a beautiful location, or blessed, um, sometimes you don't always see that you're blessed. And uh, you guys have an amazing pastor. And I'm not just saying that. Like, Brian is one of the most, and Shannon... Yeah, most godly people that I know. And, and the way that he's been able to take this community and lead this community uh, through transition and lead into the future for what, for what God has is, is remarkable. And um, Brian is one of the best teachers I know, and he could easily be pastoring a church of 20,000 people or something, like seriously, but the Lord just blessed him, anointed him, called him and his family to be a part of this community. You guys are so blessed, and so I'm, I'm just honored uh, just to, to get to step in for Brian today. Um, I, I have this sense of just like God, God's spirit is on him and his family and the leadership team in ways that we, we don't always recognize. You're in Disneyland, but you may not know it. So thank you. Thank you for the honor to be here. Thank you, Brian, um, for the opportunity. And uh, yesterday, we got to hang out um, with our families, and we went down uh, to Ravenclaw. No, that's Harry Potter. Raven, <laughs> Raven Rock. Uh, <laughs> Raven Rock. And uh, we did some hiking there, and it was cool. And then we went for ice cream afterwards. So there's this spot. I don't know if you guys know about this. You probably do. 
But he took us, there's this ice cream spot that's like 30 minutes from there. What's it called? Sunny Skies. Sunny Skies. Have you guys been to Sunny Skies? Okay, it will, it will change your life. It's a, it's a spiritual experience with God. Um, when Jesus said, your kingdom come on earth as it is in heaven, he, he had in mind Sunny Skies. So we go there, <laughs> they give us the menu, and there's like 300 options on there. Now, did you know there's a secret menu? There's like a secret, like, a uh, couple uh, flavors um, that actually you have to sign a waiver for. Have you heard about this? Um, so <laughs> there's one, cold sweat, right? So you have to sign a waiver, it's called cold sweat, and then there's one that's even more exit wound, I think? So we did that, we did that. It is the most, it's like ghost pepper, Carolina Reaper, some, some like crazy hot pepper, they put it in there. And they're like, okay, you can't go to the next level unless you have an entire spoonful. So you have to actually sign a waiver that says, when you die, you're not going to sue us. <laughs> and it has like warning signs all over. I have a picture of it. I put it on my Instagram yesterday. And then, and then you, you have a little sample. They're like, okay, if you can hack that. I could barely hack the sample. And they're like, okay, to get to the next level, you have to have a whole spoon with peppers inside of it. And they said, you have to chew. I think they're just being sadistic. They're like, you have to chew the peppers. We have to watch you chew the peppers before we give you the next one. So we chewed it. It was like insane lava in the mouth. And today, both Brian and I are like feeling it. It's like a whole different experience today before the throne of grace. Um, so anyway, that was fun. We did that yesterday. And uh, man, I tell you what, there is something special that's happening. I was just telling Christopher Kenny, there's just a sense of movement, momentum, uh, this incredible foundation that's been built here. I, I really sense and feel that this next year or two, God's going to do just something you guys could never have anticipated. Um, I really believe that. And uh, so to get to be a part of that today, thank you. Um, so I, I want to share just with you for uh, a few minutes um, from Psalm 23. Uh, Psalm 23 has been a passage that's been kind of stirring in my heart for a while. And uh, I just want to share with you some thoughts on that. Um, so if you have a Bible, um, if you want to turn with me to Psalm chapter 23, and what I'll do is I'll just read it to you and then share a few thoughts with you. And then about four hours when I'm done, I'll turn it back over to Brian. No, I'm kidding. Kind of. Psalm 23. The Lord is my shepherd. I lack nothing. He makes me lie down in green pastures. He leads me beside quiet waters. He restores my soul. Notice that phrase, he restores my soul. I want to come back to that in a few minutes. He guides me along the right paths for his namesake. And even though I walk through the darkest valley, I will fear no evil for you are with me. Your rod and your staff, they comfort me. And you prepare a table before me in the presence of my enemies. You anoint my head with oil. My cup, it overflows and surely your goodness and love will follow me all the days of my life, and I will dwell in the house of the Lord forever. Um, Psalm 23 it is so well known that it's almost become cliche. Uh, you, you think about all the, the, the areas of culture that you see Psalm 23 present, whether it's poetry or songs or movies or Jay-Z or whatever, fill in the blank. Like Psalm 23 is all over the place. And typically where you see, see Psalm 23 is in a context of death, dying, or funerals. How many movies have we seen where someone gets shot and then the very next scene, it's like a group of people hanging out around a casket 
and someone is reading Psalm 23. There, there is like this cultural association that Psalm 23 has with death. Now, certainly Psalm 23 uh, has a lot to say uh, to those seasons in life when we go through struggle and hardship. But here's what's so ironic, is that Psalm 23 was actually written by David, not so much to describe death, but to describe a life of abundance and flourishing. Um, if you look at some of the language that he uses, he, he talks about green pastures and still waters and he restores my soul. And yes, I'll go through dark times. He, he doesn't deny the dark times, but he says, I'm gonna make it through the dark times and my cup overflows. He says, goodness and mercy will follow me. Literally the word there is pursue. So if goodness and mercy is pursuing you and chasing you, that means all you have to do is stand still long enough and goodness and mercy will come crashing into you. And then he closes the psalm by saying, and I will dwell in the house of the Lord forever. So this is a psalm that is bursting with hope and life and abundance and joy and, and possibility. And I love verse three, where, where David says, he restores my soul. Now, the, the word soul is a fascinating word because when we think of soul, well, what for you comes to mind? I, th I think if you were to go out in the streets, downtown Raleigh or Cary, and you ask people, what, what, what do you think a soul is? Well, you, you get all kinds of reaction and response. I think for most people, uh, people have this kind of nebulous, ethereal idea of what a soul is. A soul is kind of like a unicorn. It's hard to describe. No one actually sees it. No one really knows what it is. Um, a lot of people think that the soul is the part of you that when you die physically, the soul continues to live on in some kind of realm that no one really understands. Think of that prayer. Maybe you were prayed this prayer as a kid. Now I lay me down to sleep. I pray the Lord my soul to keep. And if I die before I wake, I pray the Lord my what? Soul to take. Which when you think of it, is kind of a messed up prayer to pray over your kids at night. You may die, sweetie. Maybe we'll see you in the morning. Good luck, okay. And we wonder why they need counseling, right? So for many people, that's what they think of when, when they hear soul. It's like some weird part of you that keeps on going. Other people think music genre, hip hop, rap, soul. Uh, other people think ethics. Like if someone's a sociopath, they'll say he has no soul. Uh, some people think relationship, like she's my soul mate. Um, some people think uh, leadership. Um, so if you have a good NFL player, you'll say that that guy's the soul of that lead of that NFL team. You take him out of the team and, and the team's entirely different. Now, all of those things, whether it's NFL teams or or ethics, or an invisible part of you. They all contain a, a nugget of truth. But when the Bible talks about the word soul, in fact, it's everywhere. Uh, 700 times in the Old Testament alone, the word soul is found. It's talking about something way bigger, uh, way more profound, way more multidimensional than just our shallow, flattened cultural understandings of what a soul actually is. The word soul, if you're a note taker, in the Hebrew language, which is the language that David wrote in, is the word nefesh, nefesh. And it, and it can be translated as soul, self, life, person, desire, appetite, emotion, passion. In other words, it's a broad word. It's used for so many different things. But if you were to summarize nefesh in a single line, it would be this. Your soul is the deepest part of you that longs for intimacy with God. So your soul, your nefesh, and every single one of us have a nefesh, 
is the deepest part of you that longs for intimacy with God. Because you have a soul, it's what sets you apart from the rest of the created world. So um, a plant uh, lives, reproduces, uh, but you can't say that a, a plant has a soul, right? Unless you're a vegetarian. Uh, other than that, it's like, no, it's just, it's just a created thing. Or think about the difference between a dog and a cat, right? So a dog thinks, man, my owners, and we have a dog, a golden doodle. Man, my, my owners, they love me. They feed me. They take care of me. They take me for walks. A dog thinks, wow, my owners must be gods. A cat, on the other hand, thinks entirely different. A cat thinks, wow, my owners, they feed me, they love me, they take care of me, they, they give me a place to stay. I must be a god, right? So the difference between a dog and a cat, one has a soul, one doesn't. I'll let you kind of <laughs> debate that later in your small groups, right? Now, <laughs> now we all have a soul. We, we all have this deep part of us that, unlike animals, unlike plants, that, that worships, it's why we're gathered here today, it's why we lift our hands, it's why we sing, it's why we come to the table, it's why we pursue after God, because you, we, have a soul. Now, th this is what I want us to get. If your soul is healthy, then the rest of your life is going to be healthy too. But if in some way your soul is broken, disordered, out of line with the heart and, and, and passion of God, then, then the rest of your life is going to be disordered as well. The health of your soul shapes and influences everything. The, the choices that you make, your thought life, your sexuality, your career, your, your spirituality. Your soul is like, well, I, I like the analogy of a tree. If the roots of a tree flourish, then the fruit of that tree is gonna be healthy. <laughs> but if the root of that tree is broken in some way, then the fruit of that tree is gonna be broken too. Your soul is like the roots of a tree. If it's rooted in God, if it's grounded in God, if it's healthy and vibrant and alive and in sync with the passion and heartbeat and spirit of God, then the rest of your life, there's gonna be a certain degree of health and vibrancy too. Your soul, another analogy, if you play chess, your soul is like a king, right? If you, if you play chess, what's the most important piece? It's the king. Now, now here's the thing, the king is the most powerful piece on the board. If you lose the king, you lose the game. Therefore, you have to protect the king at all costs. The king is the most powerful, but it's also the most vulnerable. And so no matter what you do in a game of chess, okay, how's the king doing? Am I protecting the king? Am I shielding the king? Because you lose the king, it's game over. Your soul is like the king on a chessboard. And if you lose your soul, it's game over. That is why over and over again, the Bible says, no matter what, make sure that, that you're pursuing God in such a way that your soul is alive, that your soul is flourishing. Make sure that no matter what else is happening in your life, that you're taking time to care for the deepest part of you that longs for intimacy with God. Um, there's this great thinker, writer, philosopher, his name is Dallas Willard. And he's spoken a lot of just about uh, character formation and, and soul keeping. And, and he has this great line. I want, I want to read it to you from one of his books. Dallas Willard said, our soul is like a stream of water. 
which gives strength, direction, and harmony to every other area of our life. When that stream is as it should be, we're constantly refreshed and exuberant in all we do because our soul itself is then profoundly rooted in the vastness of God and his kingdom, including nature, and all else within us is enlivened and directed by that stream. Therefore, we are in harmony with God, reality, and the rest of human nature and nature at large. And there's so much in that line. If your soul flourishes the rest of your life will flourish too. And that is why over and over again, the Bible says, no matter what, care for your soul. Take heed, spend time thinking through, developing, nourishing, nurturing the life of your soul. Because if your soul is in sync, the rest of your life is gonna be in sync with God too. A few verses to write down if you like to take notes. Um, Mark chapter eight, Jesus put it this way. He said, what good is it for someone to gain the whole world and, and yet lose their soul? <laughs> and we could have everything, but if you lose that one thing, your soul, you have nothing. In 3 John chapter one, it says, I wish above all things that you would prosper and be in health, even as your soul prospers. So notice, he draws this connection. He says, I, I want you to be in health. He's talking about physically, mentally, emotionally, every way. Even as your soul is healthy and vibrant and alive. In 1 Thessalonians 5, it says, may your whole spirit, so this is a holistic kind of verse, your whole spirit, your soul, your body be kept blameless to the coming of our Lord Jesus. In Proverbs 4, this one's huge. Above everything else, guard your soul for it is the wellspring of life. And this one's key, 1 Peter 2. Dear friends, I urge you as foreigners and exiles, abstain from sinful desires. And notice, it says, which war against your soul. The soul is the most important part of you. And, and yet here's what so many of us have realized is that the soul is a part of us that is so frequently under attack. It seems that everything around us is attempting to drag down our soul, to poison the life of our soul. I mean, just think about, I think first of all, the busyness, the frenetic lives that we live. Um, we're constantly juggling so many things and we're trying to live in this space of harmony with God and a soul that is alive and yet we're just distracted, right? Our, our brains have been Googled. We've got all these things happening, work and relationship and drama and issues and online and social media and all these things we're just, we're trying to keep in a place of health and yet meanwhile, it can feel like our soul is gasping for air. Washington Post recently said that we are, quote, the busiest generation of all time. Blaise Pascal, the philosopher, he lived like 400 years ago. Blaise Pascal, he, he said the problem today is it stems from man's inability to sit quietly in a room alone. He said that's the issue. This is 400 years ago. He's like, the core issue today is that people can't sit quietly alone in a room. Imagine what he would say today about us. Our soul is under siege. Uh, th think about how our culture sucks the life out of our soul. We live in a materialistic, consumeristic time. And if materialism is the defining ethos of any culture, of any age, then what's gonna matter in that, in that culture is all about flattened uh, 
external things, how you look, the clothes you wear, the car you drive, how big is your house, how much money you make. And, and so what's happened to us culturally is we go after those things, we pursue those things, and yet deep down underneath the surface, there's something wrong, and we all know it. Whether you're a follower of Jesus or not, we all know it, that there's something more. There's a yearning, there's an ache inside of us that, that screams out for God. Oh God, you are my God, David said. I will seek you. I'm in a dry and, and desert land where there is no water. And I think 2018 America, that's where we're at right now. Like we have this desire, this yearning for God, our soul to be alive, and yet materialism has just, has just flattened it and crushed the life out of us. Think about how the enemy comes after us. Satan, just like Peter says, is waging war against our souls. Um, if you're a follower of Jesus, we may as well just paint a great big target on our chest because he's doing everything in his power to destroy us. He wants to destroy your marriage. He wants to sabotage your single life. He wants to destroy churches. He wants to destroy this church. He wants to steal your joy. The enemy has come to steal and kill and destroy. We wrestle not against flesh and blood, but against principalities and powers, against the rulers of the darkness of this age. Our soul is under attack. Maybe for some of you today, just coming to church felt like war, right? And you feel it. Your soul is screaming out for more of God. And the enemy's like, no, I want to distract you and confuse you. I, I want to destroy your soul. Think about how our soul is under siege from temptation. I mean, every single one of us, no exception. We all struggle with sin. We all struggle with temptation, whether it's greed or anger or bitterness or whatever, fill in the blank. Every one of us struggle with sin, with the exception of Brian, because he's godly. But the rest of us, we're like, right? And this is the space in which we inhabit sin tries to destroy us. That's why Jesus said, if your eye causes you to sin, do what with it? He said, pluck it out. He said, if your hand causes you to sin, do what with it? He said, cut it off. Now, he's not being literal or else we'd all be blind and handless, right? But, but he's being radical. He's like, do whatever it takes to live a life in pursuit of me. Not because I'm trying to rain on your parade, but I, but I say flee from sin because sin is gonna wreck your soul. It's gonna destroy your soul. A few years back, I met with a guy um, in Portland, we're having a cup of coffee together. And he was sharing, he's like 21 years old and he's dating this girl and she's not a follower of Jesus. And this guy knew better and yet he had been dating her for a few months and we're sitting there over coffee like you do in Portland because it rains the whole time. So we're inside a coffee shop and he's like, yeah, man, things aren't going well. My walk with God is suffering. I'm hurting right now. We're making all kinds of mistakes uh, morally in our relationship. Um, and it's just kind of my, my soul is, is hurting. And of course, I asked the obvious question. I'm like, well, <laughs> why are you dating this person when you know she's not a follower of Jesus? And his response, I'll never forget it. His response, he looked at me straight face. He's like, but Dom, you, you don't understand. She is so hot. <laughs> that was his response. And so I said, well, so is hell, right? <laughs> And what I saw right there was a guy whose soul, his soul is hurting. Peter says, 
There are all these things that are waging war against your soul. They're trying to destroy your soul. And so above all else, guard your soul because it is the wellspring of life. What does it profit a man if he gains the whole world and yet loses his soul? I wish that your soul would, would flourish even the, as the rest of you would flourish. I, I just wanna ask us that question today. How is your soul? How, how is the deepest part of you? Are you living in sync with your creator? But it raises the question, we could spend a ton of time on this, but we won't. How, how can our soul be restored, right? If David is describing in Psalm 23 a life of flourishing and harmony and beauty and in syncness with the creator God, if he's describing the roots of a tree that go down so the fruit of the tree can, can grow up, then how do we step into this life? How can, as he says in verse three, how can our soul, your soul, be restored in a day and age when there's so much conspiring within us and around us that is wanting to destroy us? And here's the simple thought that, that I just wanna share with you today. It's way simpler than you think. The restoration of the soul begins with intimacy with God. That's the solution. Restoration of the soul begins with intimacy with God. That, that is why in verse one of Psalm 23, David's like, God, you're my shepherd. Now, the, the word shepherd is a very intimate word. Um, in, the, in the Hebrew language, it's the word ra'ah, ra'ah. Um, let, let me hear you say ra'ah. One, two, three, ra'ah. Ra Sounds like a Katy Perry song. You're gonna hear me, ra'ah. Um, it means protector, uh, provider, but, but I love this one. Um, one Hebrew scholar, he's like, no, no, it, it's more than that. Ra'ah means friend, friend. Why? why? Why were shepherds called friends of the sheep? Because if you were a shepherd in the ancient world, it wasn't just a nine to five job. You didn't just show up, punch the card, and okay, see you later. If you were a shepherd in the ancient world, you, you spent time with the sheep, you lived with the sheep, you fed the sheep, you named the sheep, you'd take the sheep from place to place, from hill to hill, pasture to pasture, green water, still, oh, green water, green pastures, still waters, that would be weird, you poison the sheep, they die, you're a bad shepherd. Um, <laughs> And, and, and he was so in sync with the needs of, of that community that if one of them was ill, he knew how to care for them. If one of them broke a leg, he'd carry them. Uh, he's always protecting at night, actually. The shepherd would put them in a pen or sometimes a cave, and the shepherd would actually lay across the opening of that pen. The shepherd became the door, literally the door to the sheep. Why? Number one, protection. There were rogue shepherds out there. <laughs> Not a lot has changed. There's rogue shepherds out there. The enemy's out there. There's wolves out there. They're not gonna get to you except over my dead body. So I'm, I'm laying down. I, I am the doorway to the sheep. But it was also because it was for the sake of the sheep. I don't know if you know this, but sheep aren't known to be the smartest of animals. Um, in fact, they're really one of the, the dumbest creatures, which is interesting to me that of all the metaphors that God could use to describe us, he says, you're not my eagles, that would be cool. Not, you're my lions. He's like, no, not even golden doodles, that, I, that'd be great. He's like, you're my sheep, you're my sheeple, right? So I'm gonna, <laughs> I'm gonna keep you 
I'm gonna protect you. I'm gonna watch over you because I know left to your own way, man, your soul's gonna be broken. Left to your own way, you're gonna do stupid things. So I will become the door. Isn't it interesting in John chapter 10, Jesus said, I am, first of all, the good shepherd. And the good shepherd does what? Lays down his life for the sheep. And in that same passage, Jesus said, I am the door. I am the door. And that's just so good. That's such good news for us today. That, that he's protecting us. He's watching over us. He loves us. He cares for us. Ra'ah, protector, provider, friend. This is language of intimacy. David doesn't say, God, you are my sheepdog. You nip at my heels. You keep me in line. No, he says, you're my shepherd. You're my friend, even more than that. And flowing out of verse one of Psalm 23 he then says, you, you lead me. Where? Green pastures, still waters. Do you, you know the word lead in Hebrew is the word na'al. And na'al means to take gently by the hand. So, so what would happen in the ancient world? And today, if you go to Israel, there's shepherds too. If a sheep is tired or agitated or upset about something or had one of those jalapeno peppers ice creams and they're freaking out, what the shepherd would do is gently Take that sheep. Okay, come with me. By the hand, Nahal, he leads me. Come, let, let's find a green pasture somewhere. Let, let's find some still water. And, and there in the place of green pastures and still waters that the shepherd, speaking quietly to the sheep, would help lay the sheep down. He makes me do what? Lie down where? Green pastures, still waters. Okay, it, it's gonna be all right. He's speaking to them by name because my sheep know my name. My sheep hear my voice. And as that good shepherd would speak to the sheep, that sheep who's nervous and afraid and shaking would then ah, rest. That is why in verse three, David says, he restores my soul, my nefesh. Now, here, here's what's so mind-blowing. The word nefesh, soul, comes from another Hebrew word. I'm gonna nerd out with you for a few seconds. Comes from another Hebrew word, nefesh. So it's kind of confusing. You have nefesh, soul, but nefesh comes from nefesh. What does nefesh mean? Nefesh in Hebrew means to take a deep breath. So on the count of three, let's do that. I wanna take like the deepest breath that you possibly can, okay? Nefesh, here we go. One, Two, three, deep breath, go. Man, that feels good. There's something about taking a deep breath. It just kind of, ah, you just feel some of the anxiety wear off. You, it, it's like it kind of centers you in, in the present moment. That's the word that David said in Psalm 23. He says, you're restoring my soul, but restore it's this word that speaks of a relationship with God that it's thriving. My soul, nefesh, is now taking a deep breath. When David says, you restore my soul, what he's literally saying here, and I love this, you will return my breath to me. I love that. Because that's what so many of us are longing for. And we come to a place like this, it's been a long week, a long month, a long life, and you're like, God, I just, I want to breathe deeply. I, I want to inhale grace and I want to exhale failure. I want to inhale your presence and I want to exhale my anxiety. 
I, I want to breathe deeply of you. You restore my soul. You bring breath to my lungs. It's like if you're a runner and you cross the finish line, what's the first thing you do? Ah, <gasps> You breathe deeply. If you're a diver and you come up for air, your head breaks the surface of the water. You breathe in. It's life. It's abundance. It's healing. It's wholeness. You were made to breathe in the presence of God and it's in the presence of God that your soul is restored. Restoration of the soul begins with intimacy with God and you were made for that. I was made for that. And when my soul is out of sync with the presence of God, I I feel it on a deep, profound level. I mean, look at Genesis, right? God, our shepherd, creates all the world. And after he was done making everything, he said three words, it is what? It's good. So he made the oceans, it is good. He made the mountains, it is good. He made Oregon, he's like, it is good. He made North Carolina, he's like, it is very good. It is good, it is good, it is good, it is good. But then it's interesting, kind of funny to me, on the sixth day, it says he made the first man, Adam, And he said, it is good about everything, but if you look at the Genesis story, he made Adam, and and it actually says this. God looked at Adam, he's like, it is not good, (laughs) right? I I heard one rabbi, in one of his books, he's like, well, maybe God took one look at Adam and said, I can do better than that, and that's when he made Eve. That's when he made women, right? My wife likes that one. Um, So God made everything. He said, it is good, it is good, it is good. But then you gotta check this out. In Genesis chapter two, verse seven, as God is creating humanity, there's this incredible line. It says, the Lord God formed a man from the dust of the ground and did what? Breathed into his nostrils the breath of life and the man became a living being. Now notice the word being, it may have this in your translation. The word being in Hebrew is nefesh, which is our Hebrew word for Soul, when did Adam become a living soul? When did Eve become a living soul? Something happened at the dawn of all things that God makes everything. It is good, it is good, it is good. But then he creates humanity and there's something unique about humanity. What was it? It was their soul. How did that soul get inside Adam and Eve? It began as the breath of God. Your soul began as the breath of God. God breathed his soul into him. Now, if you're close enough to feel someone's breath on your face, that that can be an awkward situation, right? If you're close to someone, so close that you can feel or even worse, smell their breath on your face, it's like, wow, that, that's an intimate thing. If you can feel someone's breath on your face, you're either married or about to be, or it's a very awkward conversation that you're trying to look for a way out, right? Your soul bursts into life when you're intimate and close with your shepherd. Your God is wanting to breathe his life, his soul, his joy, his spirit into you. But if you're not close enough to him, then your soul is gonna be gasping for air. Our shepherd is saying, 
I'm leading you to green pastures and still, there, there are places I wanna take you, there's things I wanna do in you, there's stuff I wanna show you, I wanna breathe my soul into you, but, but you're not close enough to me right now. You're not sensing me, feeling me, hearing from me. My breath needs to go into your soul to restore you and renew you and you're out in left field somewhere looking for greener pastures, but if you stay by my side, your soul will be restored. Jesus put it this way in John. He said, abide in me and I will abide in you. It's that simple. Notice that Jesus doesn't give us a long list of qualifications. He doesn't say, hey, you wanna spend time with me? You you want your soul to be restored? Okay, here's what you have to do. You have to get that degree. You have to light those candles. You have to pray that mantra. You have to read these books. You have to go to these conferences. You have to climb up mountains. You have to stare at your belly button for a long time. Then then maybe I'll abide in you. Jesus, he said, no, You, you want closeness with me? Do you want intimacy with me? Just be with me. Your shepherd wants to spend time with you. And when our soul is broken and gasping for air, when the deepest part of you is hurting and struggling and lonely and confused, it's a sign, it's a deep sign that you are craving intimacy with God. It's God's way, it's this mechanism, just like the lungs in our physical body, your soul, the lungs of your soul are saying, I need more of God right now because God, you are my God and early I will seek you. My soul longs for you, my soul thirsts for you in a dry and weary land where there is no water. My soul wants more of you. So that only happens when I'm in your presence and I'm spending time with you, worshiping you, loving you, praying Seeking your face, ask and you shall receive. Seek and you will find. Knock and the door will be open to you. So, so here, here's the final point. Intimacy with God starts right now. Intimacy with your shepherd is not something, well, maybe someday I can experience closeness with God. No, intimacy with God starts right now in simple, ordinary everyday things. Abide in me and I will abide in you. Check out this quote. This is by a guy named John Ortberg. Um, And he he wrote this great book called Soul Keeping. Um, It's one of my favorite books right now. And, And he said this, God wants you to focus on him, to be with him. Abide in me, just relax, breathe in, and learn to enjoy his presence. Every day is a collection of moments. 86,400 seconds in a day. How many of them can you live with God? Start where you are and grow from there. God, I love this line, wants to be with you every moment. So God today has gifted you today. 86,400 seconds, 86,400 seconds, 86,400 seconds. And when Jesus says, abide in me and I will abide in you, he's saying, learn to understand, open your eyes to my presence that is with you even in simple things, even in ordinary things. Moments like this, God is with us. But when we get in our car and we're looking for a bite to eat, God is right there. When you wake up in the morning, instead of just reaching for our phones, which I do so many times and it's dumb, and checking the news and then wondering why you get out of bed feeling discouraged. Reach your phone and read a psalm. 
Or just spend a few moments and pray to your creator. You're standing in line at Costco and you look around, everyone's checking the score or something on their phone. What if in that moment we say, you know what? I wanna use this moment just to be in harmony with my creator. Maybe you just start praying. Maybe you start praying for the people who are around you. Now I'm not saying you have to do it out loud. In the name of Jesus, it was like this revival that happens. Really awkward at Costco, church plant, Costco fellowship. But who knows? I mean, that would be cool too. Right? Your car, you're sitting in traffic. Um, this area is blowing up, right? It's growing. Um, Portland, same thing. And traffic's horrendous. The other day, I was driving downtown. And I, it was one of those days I was just distracted and way too busy, kind of in a grumpy mood, to be honest. And I'm stuck in this traffic. I'm late. And God just began to speak to my heart. He's like, Dom, because that's what he calls me. He's like, Dom, you, you need to just worship me right now. You need to, to pray. You, you need to seek my face. And so I put on this Hillsong album <laughs> and I just start listening to it. And by the second song, it was like something kind of came awake in me. And I just started singing the song in my car. But here's what I didn't realize is I got so into the song and I'm like singing it that I didn't realize that the traffic's moving on. So I'm, I'm stuck but now everyone's kind of moving on. And then I hear this honking of the horn behind me. And there's this guy stuck behind me. He's trying to get around. And, and so I start going forward and he goes right around me. And I'm just kind of still singing. But then I look out the window nervously and he sees me and he flips me off. How is that interesting how you can have this epic moment of worship? It's like the enemy's right there to try and steal your joy. So <laughs> what, what do you do as a pastor, right? I'm a pastor and I'm worshiping, and then this guy gives me the bird. So, so what do you do in that situation? So I flipped him off too. No, I'm kidding. I'm totally kidding. I'm totally kidding. And I prayed for him. I'm like, Lord, yeah, eye for an eye. I prayed I pray for him. I'm like, Lord, just, just judge him right now in the name of Jesus. No, 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 I didn't do that. But it's interesting how you can be in your car and we learn to spend time with our shepherd, your car can become a cathedral, right? 86,400 seconds, it's the gift of today. What would it look like for you, for me, for us to say, God, today, I just wanna breathe in and out your presence, which leads me, I know I keep saying this, the finally, but actually it is the final point I'm gonna make. There's one other shepherd, and his name is Moses. And one day Moses, he's taking care of his sheep. He'd been doing it for 40 years. That's a long time to be with the same sheep in the desert. If you've ever been to Israel, it's dry, it's barren. There's not a whole lot going around. For 40 years, he's taking care of sheep in the wilderness, the same sheep. He's bored out of his mind. And one day Moses, he sees a bush that's on fire. And Moses is like, oh my goodness, oy vey, this is exciting. There's something new, right? Wow, a fire, a fire, a fire. And so he, he goes up to this burning bush and the bush talks to him, which is kind of a sign you've been in the same job for too long. <laughs> and the bush says, hey, Moses, take off your sandals because the place where you stand is, does anyone know, holy ground. Now, first of all, this must have been a shock to Moses because bushes usually don't talk. So he's processing that. But then secondly, what God told him through that burning bush, he said, hey, Moses, this, this ground that you're standing on right now, this, this place 
is holy ground. And that must have shocked Moses because that was his work. That was his nine to five. That was his vocation. The, the ground, the dust, the dirt, that's where he walked back and forth for 40 years. That's where the sheep walked back and forth for 40 years. Moses thought it was ordinary, dusty, dry, boring ground. But God said, no, it is holy. So Moses, take off your sandals because where you're standing is saturated in my presence. Why take off your sandals? Because Moses, I don't want anything to get between you and my presence, but it's only a quarter inch. It's a sandal. It's just a little strip of leather. Take off your sandals and sink your toes into my holiness. Breathe in and out my presence. I'm your shepherd. I want to restore your soul. I want to give you vision and direction for your life. Moses, there's things I'm going to do through you. There are places I'm going to take you. Prepare yourself. Take off your sandals because you're standing on holy ground. Your life is holy ground. This moment is holy ground. Your Marriage is holy ground. Your singleness is holy ground. Your work is holy ground. Raising your kids is holy ground. Having a cup of coffee with a friend and opening up your heart is holy ground. What we think is dusty, ordinary, boring, walking the dog, washing dishes, going to work, stuck in traffic, God says, no, 86,400 seconds, it's an opportunity for you to be in my presence. So take off your sandals and sink your toes in deep because I'm your shepherd, I love you, I care for you, and I wanna restore your soul. I wanna take you to green pastures and still waters. There are things I'm gonna show you, there's vision that I'm gonna impart to you, and I wanna heal the deepest part of you, and that can only begin as you're with me, following me, pursuing me, loving me, hearing from me and I will take you to those green pastures that your soul is longing for. So finally, for the fourth time, one last poem. Elizabeth Barrett Browning, she's amazing, masterful writer. She said this, earth is crammed with heaven and every common bush afire with God. But only he who sees takes off his shoes. Let's pray. Father, I thank you so much for being our good shepherd. I know that many of us this morning, we're in this place and our soul gasps for you like the deer pants for the water. We, we want more of you. We want to see you work in our life, in this city, in our church, in our family, in our singleness. And so as our shepherd, God, we wanna be as close to you as we possibly can. You told Moses, take off your sandals because you're standing on holy ground. So Lord, if there's anything in our life that we need to take off, sandal, any struggle, any sin, any worry, any unhealthy habit, 
there's anything in our life that's keeping us from intimacy with you and closeness with you, God, right now, we just wanna, we wanna take that off. We wanna confess it. We wanna lay it down. We wanna sink our toes in deep. We wanna experience your presence, skin on skin, your breath on our face, our soul coming alive, leading us by the hand, taking us to still waters, renewing us, refreshing us, the abundant life that you spoke of in John 10, the rivers of living water that flow out of us. My cup overflows. And I pray that would happen, God. That we could be the kinds of people, that this would be the kind of community that we could say, yeah, it's an overflowing cup. Because God, you're pouring into us, you're breathing into the lungs of our soul. New life, new vision, new direction. And it's just flowing out of us. We can't help it because we're close to you. So God, we just want to worship you now. We want to sing to you now. We want to take off our sandals now. Because this is holy ground. Pray this in Jesus' name.